All right. Good evening, everyone. How's River House tonight? Praise the Lord. I'm feeling better than I was last week. I slept less, but I feel better. Praise God. For those of you that weren't here, I'd, I'd just gotten, I'd just flown across the world and I'd slept 16 hours right before coming to church. So that's an experience, let me tell you. You don't ever want to have it. So um, before I get started tonight, I'm going to have you stand in a second. I'm going to read a scripture verse to us just to give uh, just a little uh, caveat uh, from last week. First of all, just thank you. So many of you have reached out and just been moved, and uh, it's, I've been just touched to see uh, how many uh, checks and money came in. Uh, we didn't ask for that, um, but you've done it just out of your own hearts. And so I just want to say thank you. And a lot of people have reached out, you know, what are we doing? And, uh, you know, uh, we're not in a hurry to try to figure out some sort of answer or throw money at a problem and act like that's going to fix things. Uh, we feel like God hasn't just given us a cause to rah-rah around, but he's given us a, a portion of his heart that we get to steward. And so it's going to take some time, and we're in relationship uh, with brothers and sisters uh, in that part of the world, and we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm in calls this week with them, and so we're, we're working actively, uh, but we're not in a rush to try to figure something out. We, we know that God's uh, birthed something together uh, between our hearts and theirs, and uh, in time, uh, we're going to present probably something a little bit more formal to you. I don't know when that will be. It could be uh, hopefully before the end of the year. Um, but just, just to kind of put your minds at ease is that this is being stewarded well, and in due time we're going to come to you with something a little bit more uh, formal and say, hey, here's what we feel like God's in part inviting us into, and here's uh, what, what a long-term relationship can look like. So uh, we're in for the long term, and, and, and God is faithful and honestly it's just it's so 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 baby you just got the raw process last week and so uh, we're just really listening to Jesus and I'm listening to Jesus and slept a lot this week too so um, praise be to God does that make sense okay if you can stand up I'm just gonna read one verse it's from the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth that's the word of the lord praise be to god you can be seated my intent tonight is to open up a a conversation around the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what that means for you and me and what that means for our community here in Boise, Idaho. I think that those words are some of the most important words penned in all of Scripture. And I think that those words, the word becoming flesh, God incarnating himself and becoming a human named Jesus Christ, is the single most differentiating factor from Christianity from all other world religions, is that God became a man and he stepped into our story and the implications of that are just profound, extraordinarily profound. And I want to build a framework tonight to help us all hopefully understand the significance of the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, we are in a Christmas season. As, as Riley prayed at transition time, we're in Advent. And that is this time of preparing and looking forward to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is Christmas. Uh, this is honestly a, a message that's been on my heart for months, and I was actually flying back. I was, I was on a flight from Qatar 
to San Francisco, six, 16 hours in a flight. And in the middle of that groggy flight, I uh, woke up at one portion of that and the Lord just started speaking to me. And I just put together and tied together a lot of thoughts that had been kind of brimming and stirring inside of me for a number of months. And I think it's time to, to go here as a, as a family. So I'm going to just intro this tonight and then spend the next few times that I preach talking about what does it mean to be an incarnational church, an incarnational Christian? How does our spirituality come to have skin on it? Because Jesus was God become man, and then he sends his spirit to us that we can become living incarnations of Christ. Not that God would deify us, but that God would actually humanize us right into what humans actually are. Uh, we, we're made to be image bearers of God, and the Spirit of God comes upon us to actually animate that image, uh, the very essence of God that he breathed into us, that it can be on display, and that we can walk and talk as if Jesus were living his life in our skin. That's the goal of Christianity, by the way, is that Jesus would live his life in your body. That you would not just be a, a sermon or a song, but you'd be a living message. A living epistle is what Paul calls it, known and read by all. That your life would literally be a message to the world, to your spouse, to your children, to your community, to your city. That people would look at you and, and, and behold you and be in relationship with you and they would be impacted because you have become an incarnation of the love of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change the world. This is why Jesus says, it's better that I go away and I go to the Father. It's to your advantage that I go to the Father because then I'll send the Spirit to you. And I'm only, Jesus is basically saying, I'm living my life in one human body, but my goal is to redeem humanity so that God can have his way. We can live cooperatively in all of you so that I can multiply myself times a billion, times nine billion now or whatever it is. That's the heart of God, that Jesus would come and put us on. We would actually invite him in, say, live your life in me. That's amazing. That's also probably the highest bar that anybody could ever fathom giving to someone. <laughs> if you want to challenge someone, be like, God wants you to imitate him. <laughs> oh, man, there's nowhere to hide from that. There's no off days from that. There's no timeouts. It's like Jesus says, I want it all. You can say, how could you be so demanding? But he leads by example. And he gave all, Riley prayed, to become a man, to become a human. So I want to talk about the incarnation of Jesus. I'm going to start a little bit with my own story to kind of contextualize why this is important. All right, so I, I encountered Jesus. I had a surrender moment when I was 17 years old. Uh, I had known Jesus most of my conscious life that I remember, my mother embodied uh, a lot of spiritual disciplines in front of us. So like I knew Jesus, I was, I was good with him, I was in church, but I was far from surrendered to Jesus. And uh, I wasn't really a rebellious kid, I didn't do any of the bad things on the outside, but my insides were full of all kinds of bad stuff. and. I uh, just ask my, my chuckling mother there, or ask, ask Riley, who is up here. I just was very hurting on the inside. I didn't know that, but I was a hurting young man. 
And at 17, uh, I was a very successful athlete and had a lot of things on the outside. Everything was working well. I, I honestly thought that I was a really good Christian boy and yada, yada. I just didn't really think much about that. But at 17, I have an encounter with God. The fear of the Lord just came over me. I was alone. And all I could say, I didn't, I didn't actually have any theological belief or even faith. I didn't know that God spoke in visions, but I had this visual experience. And I saw my life. And it was, uh, it was this path, and it was just, it was so empty. And all I knew is that it was, it was just self. All I could see was just selfishness. And it was literally so horrifying. Like, I, I can't describe to you how out of my character this moment was. Like, I wasn't, this wasn't something that I would have even had language for. My whole life was planned out. I wanted to be on the PGA Tour. Everything was working well in this time in my life, and I just started screaming at the top of my lungs, Please don't let me walk down that path, God. Please, 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 please. And, and the thing is, is as I was saying this, I knew that my golf dream was on that path. I didn't know how to tell you that, but I knew it. And I started screaming, I surrender. I surrender. I'll give you my whole life. Just don't let me walk that path. Screaming as I'm screaming from like this deep place inside of me. It's like a groan coming out of me. My head is like what are you saying? What are you saying? Do not say this but something deeper it was like a, a volcano erupted inside of me and then I sat there after the kind of experience lifted in these deep breaths sobbing being like what just happened to me? That was my surrender moment. Everything changed in my life after that. I started having these activating experiences. Again, no language for anything that we'd label as charismatic, but I started having these experiences and became, you know, in a lot of pain in my life simultaneously. Went in this really deep place with God. Uh, but about five years into that, I was full of zeal. And also in a lot of pain, but zealous for the Lord and the anointing of God was on me and I was starting to dabble in ministry things. I was in a Christian university and uh, at 21, I had uh, um, just really, it was like a, a, a sovereign orchestrated breaking where the Lord, I had some humiliating experiences, publicly humiliating experiences uh, that were very painful and some privately humbling experiences that were very painful. And I had to um, face how blind I was. And I was extremely zealous for God. I was very anointed by God. I had all kinds of authority from God, but I had to look at a big chain of relationships in my life that I had done some really messy things in. And it was humiliating. And I thought it was the end of the world, so I'm on a little Christian school, and it's a bubble, and everybody knows, and I knew people were talking, and I was humiliated, and I couldn't defend myself because I knew I was wrong before the Lord, and he was convicting me. And I was honestly shocked um, because I had the best intentions ever. Like, anybody in here have good intentions in life? Like, I had the most incredible intentions, honestly. Like, my heart is really a good heart. I think I get it from my mom. Like, I just have really good intentions. And I never, I, I honestly can say I've never had bad intentions toward another person. But I saw that even behind the veneer of my good intentions, the flesh was a lot sneakier than I realized, and I was blind. 
And the fear of the Lord entered in that life. It was a very painful season. And that's where the fear of the Lord really came in a new way. And I realized there that I needed something more than good intentions if my spirituality was going to be real. Because I saw how my spirituality had wounded people. Are you following me? And it was very, very hard for me to, to, to cope with that. And it sent me on a journey for the next year and a half. The Lord started teaching me. I started coming to these kind of new perspectives. And I just knew. It was like I was searching for something that I could sink my teeth into to say, like, that's, that's the ticket. Like, that's real. That's, that's, that's the thing that I'm searching for. And what I ended up landing to was I was going to go spend time with Heidi and Roland Baker in Mozambique. And, and this, is, this is why. This is just being really honest with you all, because Heidi inspired me so much. Uh, And what inspired me was the signs and the wonders and the fruit and the tens of thousands of churches and the stories. And my brother had been there and I'd heard him first account. And I was like, "Hey, I'm inspired by that. But at a deeper level, I was also scared to death of Heidi Baker. I I have lots of journals leading up to my time going there, scared to death by the love she embodied. Scared to death by a woman who despised the American stage, which is what everybody says a revivalist wants, because she'd rather be in a trash dump, because that's her favorite place on earth. That scared, like scared me, like, like knee knocking scared me. And I knew that for me to go there and be in proximity to that kind of a person would require me to change. It would, something in me was going to have to go for me to withstand that experience. You know, you, you following me? It was like, oh gosh, I'd read the stories. Have you read the stories of her? You know, you've heard her, you've heard her preach, some of you. If you haven't, you should just listen to her. You should just listen to the life. And it was like, that's, I, I just knew. There was something, I had, I had dreams. The Lord, it was this pretty long process, but very deliberately, the Lord was like, you need to be there. You need to go. So I went there, and I was right. It forced me to grow. It impacted me in a lot of ways. I've talked about it on the stage in a number of ways over the years. But more than anything, what I emerged with on my way home when I got on the plane and flew back to America was an an, an impression. It was like a branding inside of my heart, this vision of an incarnational gospel. Because what I witnessed there was a, a culture that was literally like ethereal, in the clouds, seated with Christ in heavenly places. We would have the most wild encounters with God. And it was so heavenly. So it's literally like you felt like you were in heaven, and then at the same time, you were literally in the dirt, giving your life away to the least of these. And it, it, was, it, it, was, it was spiritual, but it was in the flesh. It was powerful and almost ethereal sometimes, but then it was grounded with the hurting and weeping with those who weep, and literally on your butt, sitting with people in the dirt, letting them teach you how to speak different words in their language. And it was just so beautiful. There was spiritual healing, but then there was feeding the, the, the hungry. And it, it was just, it was, you know, it was, it was saving them for eternity, but it was educating them for the, the next generation, you know, and systematic transformation. It was holistic. It was incarnational. It was real. It was costly. It, it terrified me. It was, it was so in your face. I could never get away from it. And it, it, it just, it's marked me. It's marked me. And I think over the years, as I've been now in, in ministry, more and more, I, I've realized, I don't even think, God, I've, I recognize the depth to what you 
branded inside of me. It's like what you infused into my spirit, this longing to see an incarnational gospel. And this is the reality. This is why I frame that. That's some of my story to frame now here is when we look at the Western world, the Western church, we see a poverty of incarnational ministry. Like a true poverty. And and this is, I'm going to oversimplify this, but I, I think you'll find what I'm saying in this. You see primarily two kind of sides of the incarnational debate that movements within the American church fall into. One is that there's a lot of spiritual movements, and then there's what I'll call social movements. And I'm not saying that derogatory. That's more just like social in the sense of its, its, its target and its impact. And I'm going to give you examples of some really good movements in both of these. Right? And so if we look at like a spiritual movement, this would be a, a great example would be IHOP Kansas City. Has anybody been there? I've been there. I love that place. I, got, I love that prayer room. It's just, it's holy. The presence of God is so powerful. And when I say a spiritual movement, there's movements whose uh, emphasis, they're really centered and focused on the mystical reality of God's imminent presence that's now. And, and uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's oriented towards the spiritual. It's oriented around experiencing God's presence, prayer, worship, uh, signs, wonders, prophecy, heal, like all these amazing things that are right in the Bible. And the vision in a spiritual movement, the, the, the fulfillment, what it really boils down to, if you kind of get into that, is the DNA is the fulfillment of the kingdom come mandate looks like a spiritual revival where God's manifest presence, his holiness, his glory will touch a life, transform a life, and, and then lead to uh, transformation. We love these. I love these. Right, and then if you flip to the other side, the social movements, which are a wonderful example of this, would be the Missionaries of Charity, which was with who? Uh, Mother Teresa. Yeah, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and then it spread around the world. This is a movement that's focused on, you know, instead of the mystical presence of God in our midst, it's focusing on the meeting the needs of a dying world and the presence of pain and suffering. And it's a compassion ministry, and it's weeping with those who weep, and it's clothing the naked, and feeding the hungry, and liberating the captive. You know, it's, it's, it's focusing on social transformation. It's, it's, it's orienting itself, it's giving yourself, it's getting in the dirt with people. It's inconveniencing yourself. It's blessed are those who mourn. It's literally taking people's pain upon you and saying, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be with you. Which one's right? They're both right. The kingdom encompasses both of these things, clearly. Both of social movements, spiritual movements find their theology in Scripture. They find their inspiration in the life of Jesus himself. There's nothing wrong with any of this. But the kingdom clearly, if, if you are looking with an objective lens coming to the Scripture, you will find that the, the kingdom clearly has implications to both. But very few Western ministries do. It goes like this, one or the other. If I'm being just like honest, like I'm not coming down on anything, but if I were to speak to Riverhouse, we, we, we very much are on this side. We're, we're a spiritual movement. And I'm not saying that even in the sense of what we're doing. There's people that are doing a lot of things, but I'm saying in what we value. 
We actually are being discipled by God. We're learning to value the presence of God, and I love that. We've labored for that. Uh, I long for that. I want to go actually deeper into the things of God. I want to know the presence of God with a greater sensitivity. I want us to be a people that are familiar with God's glory, not in the sense that we become conditioned to it, but in the sense that we are in awe with it and we learn how to steward it and walk with it and live in him and be like Jesus in an abiding place where the spirit comes upon us and we, he rests upon us and we partner with him throughout our life. I long for that. I long for that. I want more of it. And, and I, I would say that we even have, we have growth to do here. But where I'd say that we're the weakest as churches, we're weak here. We don't value the social side culturally. And I'm not pointing fingers. This is just, this is just being honest. You know, we had like, if you just look at the numbers of our church, where we show up for things, it's not outreach. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not to, you know, to go and, and, and sit with people. Like, I, I think we're learning to have God's heart for his presence, but I don't think that we have God's heart for each other or for our city to the same degree. I don't think that our spirituality is yet translating to something that's got skin on it and incarnational, that looks like radical love, that looks like a love that would scare people like Heidi's love scares me. Because that's what love looks like. <laughs> we don't know exactly what it looks like, but I think sometimes, you know, we, we fail to recognize that God's love is a radical love. It is an all-consuming fire. <laughs> it's like challenging. It's like in your face. It's like, I want it all. And that's what marks me. Being in the presence of Heidi Baker, that's what marks me. She's become a living epistle, an incarnation of Christ. She's just given herself. She's just given herself. For people, and I've had this probing, gosh, for the last 14 years. I literally, I lay in bed at night sometimes, and I, I, I honestly feel like it's the Lord questioning me. It's like, and maybe it's me questioning him. But it's like, have I, have I broken through the threshold of self? Like, really? Like, really? This is like last week. Like, have I really, like, is my life wholly given? Is my life just being spilt on the altar of other people? And, and for you, God, like, you know, like, ah, that's what I want. That's what I want to sink my teeth into. I want, I want Jesus to, like, live his life in me. Marriage, marriage has been challenging for me. Because I'm not a fool. And I know that if my messages are real, they have to show up. And, and I'll confess before you all, they don't yet. I can create a spiritual culture in a room of 500 people. But I've struggled in my own marriage. to know how to lead this beautiful bride that God's given me. It's like, man, so our incarnational business is hard. I think the, the, the theological tenet, kind of the belief, 
that allows, because in saying that River House is more of a spiritual movement, this is common for the charismatic. This, this would be typical for the charismatic church in America. It's a strong emphasis, strong value on the presence and the spiritual. And in, in, it's not an open neglect, but just not much emphasis on the practical. There's actually sometimes actually tension and fear that goes between the two. This is common. This is common for Western charismatic church. And there's, some, there's, there's, a, there's kind of a theological phrase that I've used in myself that's essentially the belief is, well, what we're doing is we're picking the best thing. We're gazing upon the presence. As we gaze upon the presence, as we gaze upon him, First John 4 says, as we see him, we'll become like him. So we're actually picking the better portion as we see him and just gaze upon him. That's what's going to change us. That's what's going to change our city. Now, that's absolutely true. This is where things get sneaky. It's true, but it's lacking a lot of depth. And this is what I find. Yes, yes, yes. This is the first portion. I believe that the charismatic church in America is richly blessed. We experience the manifest presence of God because we focused on the presence of God. I actually don't think the priority is wrong at all. Like I said, I want to grow this. We need to grow this. Where I think we're lacking depth is we've underemphasized the cost of becoming incarnational love. And we've underestimated that to get to societal transformation, to get to healthy families, healthy city, we're going to have to swim upstream for a lot of years. You're not going to drift there. Ask William Wilberforce. Ask Mother Teresa. Ask Heidi and Roland Baker if they drifted to societal transformation. Now you get there by, by exercising a superhuman amount of effort, work. The kingdom is opposed to striving. It is not adverse to effort. It will require every drop of, of passion that you have. It will require you to give your life to something, to give your life to a call from God. So yes, we have to get stronger here as a church. We really do because we have to be supernaturally supplied with God himself. It's only God in my skin that could get all the way here. <laughs> right? A social gospel that's void of the presence, is an, it's, 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 like, it's like you're never going to do that. It's like running a marathon with no water. It's like I'm going to run across America with no food and water. It's like why? Why even try? So you need God. It's a God-sized vision to see the kingdom of come incarnationally. It's a God-sized vision. All right, so why is this divide here? I'm going to get a little heady, but I think it will help be helpful. Uh, Platonic dualism. This is why. The father of Western thought is Plato. You heard of him? You read him? Probably not. You should have. If you went to Ambrose school, you probably did. If you got one of those classical educations, my parents were cheap. Public school all the way through. <laughs> Never read any Plato. But Plato is the father of Western thought. Plato had a belief system that the natural world was evil and the spiritual world was exalted. That doesn't necessarily carry over into Western thinking. But the point is embedded into all of platonic thought which again is the bedrock of western civilization the thought process that birthed western civilization is a divide between the spiritual and the natural 
So this did not exist in a Hebrew understanding, a Hebrew worldview. There's no such thing as even the word spiritual life. That doesn't exist in a Hebrew or Hebraic realm of thinking. It's just life. This whole divide between the spiritual and the natural is actually created by Plato, and he's a heathen. <laughs> and we all live in, in that. So we think, we think Western world's so great. It's, it's birthed by heathen thinking. Uh, it's not all bad, but Platonic dualism basically build, it built a canyon. It's like a grand canyon in the Western mind between the spiritual and the natural. And Plato kind of created this competition, and it's existed ever since between there's like at odds. It's like the spiritual and the natural are like kind of fighting and jockeying for, intention, for, for uh, who's going to win. It's like an arm wrestle between both. And we see this same arm wrestling match. It's, it's so alive and well in the Western church today. Again, this is one of the reasons that I think people say, well, why are there so many more healings and supernatural things when you go to a culture like India? Well, India is not a Western world. They don't have a divide between the natural world and the spiritual world. It's just the world. So when you come and you bring a gospel of a Jesus that does these things, they're like, great. The whole world's open to spiritual things because they see it fused together. They don't have this canyon to divide. We do. Here's some examples in the history of the church, just in the last couple hundred years in the American church. The, the, the debate between science and scripture over creation. See, the, the, the fundamentalists were afraid that science is going to like mess up our understanding of, of what God says, where it's like, well, if, if we actually believed that God just made the world, we should like love science. Be like, well, science will just reveal the truth about Creation and scripture is the truth about creation and they're fusing together and they're bringing physical and spiritual together. But there's been like wars over this. Physical healing. Oh, physical healing. Are doctors the right way or are those bad? Or is prayer for faith? Is that the right way? And, and the two camps kind of like look at each other like, eh, I think you're weird. I don't think you have faith. It's like, the church created the hospital system. <laughs> it was birthed by the church. But we, we kind of, there's like, both are kind of threatened by the other. Like, is, the, is, it, is it the spirit or is it, is, it, is it the natural? Platonic dualism. God's like, what's the problem? This is oversimplified, but I'm trying to just bring you into like the real. This is where the incarnation gets messy. Uh, inner healing. There's the spiritual camps. It's like, you know, theophostic prayer. If any of you have done inner healing, it's like you go directly to Jesus. You need deliverance. It's spiritual healing for the inside. Then there's the, the, this side, which is like EMDR trauma therapy because science has done breakthroughs of how the body and the mind actually processes trauma and stores trauma. But there's like, there's like both camps are like, well, theophosic prayer is bad and it's going to mess up people's you know, souls. And people are like, well, that, that's bad. That's self-help. You know, it's like, this is demonic. It's like, it's like, it's like the same thing, but we have this divide. Is the spiritual better or is the natural better? We, we created this. There is no word in scripture for your spiritual life. In, the, in, in, in spiritual gifts, it's not even spiritual gifts. It's not even in there. It just says concerning the spiritual because there's not even a word for it. It's just concerning how the spirit moves. <laughs> evangelism. Is evangelism 
feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and meeting the needs of a dying world? Or is it preaching the gospel of signs and wonders and praying for... There's fights between this. It's both. It's both. That's a simple thing to say, but what I'm trying to bring you into is that there's a lot of rub when we start talking about incarnation. And this is throughout 2,000 years of the church. Biggest controversies in the history of the church have been wrestling with what does the incarnation of Jesus Christ actually mean? And I think what God is bringing us into as, as a body, part of the maturation process of Riverhouse Church, is us starting to wrestle what does it mean for Jesus to live his life in my skin, in this city? What does that look like for a church to embody an incarnational mandate? To be like, like in other words, how does, I talk about this all the time. How does Sunday spirituality translate to Monday? And not just, you know, I think you're following me. This is important. This is important. I want to encourage you all to be in the Gospel of John, to read the Gospel of John, to read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the next month. Maybe twice, maybe three times, maybe listen to it. Uh, we're we're going to spend some time in John. Again, this is like an intro night. I'm just trying to, trying to get your thoughts going. I, I fear talking about this because I know I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm not trying to, like, we, our, our human understanding of balance is it's like, oh, we need to, like, have less of this and more of this. That's actually not what I'm trying to do. I don't want to be balanced. I don't want to be moderate. I want to be radical, because Jesus is radical. I want like all of the spirit, and I want all of the incarnational social transformation. I want to see a city transformed. Like I want to actually see our city transformed. Like heaven is a city in the Bible. You know, in Isaiah, it says the ships of Tarshish are coming into the city and all these different goods and things, right? Like I think sometimes we over-spiritualize heaven. Heaven, like Jesus made us a human. God made us humans. We're going to be humans in heaven, different bodies glorified somehow, but we're going to be in a city and cities have all types of amazing things. Like concerts, <laughs> praise God, and, and parks and fun and joy. Like it's a city, we see a heavenly city. We start in a garden, we end in a city. And the difference between a garden and a city is that humans create a whole bunch of stuff. That's what a city is. It's just humans creating a bunch of stuff, creating a bunch of things, creating a bunch of ways to do life. And I believe that heaven is a perfect city where we create a bunch of perfect stuff that all glorifies God. It's all fruit that comes from us being in connection with God and it creates life that's abundant and amazing and joyful and peaceful and equitable and dignified. And, and I don't think that we're ever going to touch in this life exactly what the city of God looks like, but I think it looks a lot more like heaven than it does right now when we look at our city. And it's like concrete, it's tangible, you know, it like looks like us changing what our city functions like because of what God does in me, through me. I want that. I want to be a part of that. I was just moved 
the meeting this afternoon, three o'clock, that, that Joel Ryman and, and Deborah Ryman put on and, and with the, the gal from Glocal and talking about what does it mean to be a hospitable city for refugees coming. We don't like to talk about this from the pulpit. We like, but like, this is our opportunity. You know, and I, I loved, I loved, he was literally challenging us. He was saying, I wasn't planning on talking about this. He was challenging. He was like, I, I kind of want this to hurt. I want this to be convicting. I want this to be opportunity for you to, to, to have your financial comfort challenged, to have your relational comfort challenged, to have your, your schedule challenged with how you're going to spend your time and not just pity these people and be like, I feel bad for you to actually give enough of ourselves to be disturbed by the pain of these people. And I was in tears as he was just talking about their story. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I was in Pakistan. I, we shared the story last week. And honestly, what's messed me up, I've been thinking about it all week. Because, you know, from Sunday to Monday, the stark difference was so profoundly in your face that I couldn't deny it. But why it was so confronting is because I realized, well, I've been living that same Sunday to Monday differentiation for a long time in America. It just doesn't move me the same way. Like, does, do all these messages have skin on them? Do all these songs have skin on them? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Let's just start there. Does that have skin on? This is why sometimes I get afraid. The Lord's looking down and saying, are you guys just playing church or do you mean it? We should be disturbed. And I think we need to learn to love the disturbance of God a lot more in this country. I think the Holy Spirit has to be more of a disturber here. But I want you to read the Gospel of John because John, above any other writer, he, he's a symphonic writer is what they say. So the other Gospel writers, they're more linear. They're kind of building an argument throughout their book. But John is writing symphonically. And if you think of a symphony, it can have lots of different movements throughout the course of the... Uh, whatever you would call it, I'm not a music person, the concert. But it has a theme. And the, the, first, the first movement will sound different than the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth, but the theme flows through the whole thing. This is how John writes. He kind of touches things and then he weaves and he comes back. He's a symphonic writer. And John's writings, above anything else, it's a symphonic revelation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And John is writing actually much later than the other gospel writers, and he's writing actually into the conflicts that were brewing as the Christianity started permeating the Western world. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to unpack this more next week for the sake of time. But the point I'm trying to make is that uh, the dualism that we see in America today was evident in Greece and, and, and Rome, that whole part of the world. And they started struggling with an incarnational gospel. And much of what John is writing is trying to ground people. You'll see this rhythm that he does. He, he'll appeal to the spiritual to then ground in the incarnational and to the relational. He will appeal to the spiritual to then ground in love. And he kind of, he, he, it's symphonic, so he, he'll go and then he'll go. It's beautiful. It's like a beautiful, beautiful work of art. And, and in the gospel, he makes the most authoritative assertions of the I am's of who Jesus is. He makes, without any doubt, the divinity of Jesus clear above every other writer. But G John also pulls back the hood of Jesus' divinity, and he shows us the inner workings of his humanity like no other writer shows. And he, he emphasizes like seven or eight times throughout the gospel, Jesus, these, these statements he's making that are so human. Like, I, I can't do anything unless God helps me. How many of you have said that before? Like, I can only do what God does. It's not me doing the works, but it's, it's the Father in me doing the works. I, I, I'm doing nothing on my own initiative, but as I hear, I act. So John is trying to draw us into the Jesus that he touched, that he saw, that he beheld his glory. Like, a, like the, the John who leaned on his chest. The John who had breakfast with Jesus post-resurrection. Haven't you ever thought that's like kind of funny? The first thing Jesus does post-resurrection is <laughs> cook some fish to have breakfast. I love it. So relatable. So human. So John is, is trying to reveal both the, the glory and the majesty and the relatability, the humanity of Jesus. He's, he's, he's leaving us this legacy memoir, this, this offering from his heart that you would know the incarnational God and become like him because he lived long enough to see people drifting away from what he knew to be true. The resurrected one that he touched his hands and ate with. Like, this is real. This looks like love. You have an anointing from the Spirit, no need to teach you. And as it teaches you, abide in him. And this is how you know you abide in him. That you love. That you love. That your life is this epistle of love. Radical, self-giving love.
So I want you to read John. And I want you to read the Beatitudes every day. Maybe for the next month. And the Beatitudes are Jesus giving us the founding doctrine of the, the, the treatise, the, it would be the equivalent of, you know, the Constitution and our, our, our core, the core beliefs that built the, the framework of the American culture. This is Jesus giving us the Constitution of the incarnational kingdom of God. And they're also something else because Jesus is the kingdom of God. And so the Beatitudes are both the constitution of an incarnational kingdom and they're the inner realities of the incarnational king. They're Jesus saying, this is what I'm like. And this is the way of the kingdom. They're challenging. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not just a spiritual truth. We ease our conscience through the way that we interpret that in the West. We ease our conscience on this one in a similar way that we ease our conscience with the rich young ruler. So that's a spiritual principle. No. It's an incarnational principle. It's not saying that you have to be poor, but I promise you it is saying that you'd have to know poor people. You'd have to know When you know poor people, it changes the way you see yourself. I have a lot of friends all over the world that are really poor. It makes me feel outlandishly wealthy. And I always have them in my heart. And it challenges me. Just being real, I go to vacations and I wake up in the morning to get with the Lord and who do I think about? Them and it challenges me, why do I have all of this? Why am I so rich? What do you want me to do, God? These are incarnational realities. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We see pain and we want to fix it. God just wants us to mourn with them. He wants us to know pain and walk with people in pain. That's how you learn to mourn. You own your own pain. These aren't just spiritual things. These are incarnational truths. Blessed are the meek, the gentle. They'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This stuff is real. This isn't a list of idyllic truths that we should idolize and memorize. That's the way of the kingdom. And that's what I'm after. And I don't care what it cost me. I know that River House could probably be a bigger church, could probably be more successful. A lot of the ways that the Western measures success. But I know this place is uncomfortable. I know it is. I know it's probably uncomfortable for lots of you in lots of different ways. And I rejoice in that. Even though my, my ego doesn't like that. I, I mean, it'd probably be cool if the church was a thousand people. I don't know. Seriously, it's uncomfortable for me sometimes, too, if I'm being honest. There's a lot of things that happen around here I don't understand. But I want us to be challenged because we need to be challenged in this country. If we drift in the American church right now, we will drift to a very comfortable, casual form of Christianity that will transform nothing for eternal, in, in an eternal substance of kind of way. That's what drifting will happen. So I believe that if we are comfortable here in the American church, we should be very, very scared. That's not a good place to be in America. We should be very uncomfortable. But to do that, we kind of have to go against the grain. So I say that to just say I love you. I really do, and I want the best for you, and I want the best for us, and I want the best for me, and I want the best for my own marriage, my own children, my own family. I want us to be a real community where Jesus is living in our midst with his, our skin on. That's what I want. So can we put the, 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 the scriptures on the screen? I don't know how many we could even do. But I think maybe we could just put the lights down. Maybe just, just put that, 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 first, that first word, that blessed are the poor in spirit. And I, I, want, I'm just, I want to just close. For some of you, I think just, just, just meditate on that.
Yeah, I just I want you to just some of you I think just need to just just meditate. Just let the Lord speak if He's speaking to you. Um, we're just going to close it kind of quiet tonight. We have a ministry team, and uh, the beautiful thing about the kingdom is that the kingdom's here. And Lord usually does, I think, about 500 different things in the same room at one time. And I think for some of you, there's probably just some conviction or disturbance or joy or vision or whatever the Lord's doing. But just let him speak through that scripture. Uh, we also just want to pray uh, for healing. If any of you need healing in your bodies, uh, that's one of the signs of the kingdom of God coming throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. And so I'm just going to have a team forward. Uh, we have a, a couple words of knowledge, which are just when the Lord kind of reveals uh, things that he's wanting to touch uh, in, a, in a room, ailments in people's body. And uh, our team was praying before service and uh, had a sense that there's someone um, with like tailbone pain and then uh, maybe someone else that you have pain in the left side of your your mouth, your teeth, your jaw, something in this side of your mouth. Um, so if you need prayer, um, I'm gonna, if the team, you can just come forward now. and uh, if, if you want, you can stay in your seat. Uh, if the Lord's ministering to you, you can, you can come receive ministry. Uh, some of you may just feel a sense from the Lord that you just need to have someone uh, pray over you tonight. Uh, if you want that, you sure can come and get that. Uh, I also just sense that there's someone, you have a sports-related injury uh, that's, that's bothering. I think it's caused back pain. It's caused leg pain. Um, and it kind of shoots. It's like a shooting pain in your body. Uh, if that's you, I feel like it probably happened a long time ago, and then I think you it, it got re-aggravated in the not so in like the recent past and uh, just think the Lord just wants to touch you and I love that Jesus is a healer I love that Jesus like convicts the heck out of us and inspires us at the same time I, I think there's someone that you have like neck pain and it hurts, like it hurts it. It causes you to sleep not the way that you would like to sleep. Like I think you had to get a certain type of pillow uh, to help you sleep. So, yeah, then the Lord's touching you. Then I just see someone, well, what I see is you've had indigestion in a way that's uncommon for you and you've been trying to figure out what's going on in your stomach. I just see the Lord wanting to touch indigestion and someone tonight is wanting to touch your tummy. Seems just putting his hand on your tummy. So if that's you, you can come and get prayer. I'm just going to stay up here for a bit and just let the Lord speak. If you need to get your kids, I don't know if it's that time. 
Yeah, it's that time. I'm getting the nod. Yeah, you can get them. You can bring them back in. You know, I never really know if these words of knowledge are true, and, and you know, until they're true, I just kind of take a step out. When, uh, a couple, last week when we were, we were in Pakistan, the, we were praying for healing. I got this word of knowledge of someone, someone's neck, uh, like the, I think I, I think it was the left side of their neck. And I called out a few, and I prayed, and then everybody's just kind of staring at me blank. It was kind of a funny story, and I was like, all right. I was like, did someone actually get their neck healed here? I was like, I, like just stand up if it was you. This old man stands up in the back, just kind of slow trots. Like you just get a home run, just kind of slow trots to first, all the way up, and we're all staring at him. He's like, it was me. <laughs> it's like, as soon as you said it, my neck's better. Praise God, I'm healed. And we're like, oh my gosh. I was like, thanks for letting me sweat that out for like 10 minutes in front of 500 people. Now, that would have been really helpful to know, you know, before. Oh, man. That was cool, too. I think uh, John... John called out this word of knowledge too. I'm just sharing these, maybe touch your faith, but he said, I see someone there like you're stepping on the side of your feet. Like you can't walk because you injured yourself. You're stepping on the side of your foot. And uh, this, uh, I, I don't know, young girl, maybe in her 20s came up and she was like, you know, walking and dancing in heaven. But she was like, I literally been walking on the side of my foot and now I'm walking on the foot right on my, right on my, the sole of my foot. I was so blessed. I was like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, you just step out and you risk, and God does stuff, so it's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless what you're doing in the room tonight, God. Yeah, I just, I'm just gonna, gonna if, if someone maybe got in an accident, like a car accident in 2002, and you've had issues, some sort of issues in your body since, if that's you, just come. We want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, if someone's having sciatic pain, some sort of a pinched nerve issue, we just want to pray for you. I just feel like the Lord's really touching. He's touching someone that has pinched nerve. And then uh, lastly, it's just like a right shoulder. I feel like you're having struggle even. Like it's hard to raise your hand. And I just see the Lord just touching you just wanting to touch your body touches the body you know he touches the body church because he's an incarnation of God and he he cares about the body it's pretty amazing he like floors me every single time I hear a testimony of God touching someone in a way that brings physical healing Is there anybody in here that you just like, that you were touched by, you, you were, you're healed tonight? Like, you're like, absolutely, I just got healed in this room right now. 
if you are, I just want you to come testify. If not, that's okay too. We're not trying to put a show on. We're literally just trying to pray for what Jesus tells us to pray for. Yeah, so if you need healing in your body, uh, in any form, uh, if you need encouragement, uh, just come receive prayer and we'll be up here and we'll pray for you. Stay as late as we need to do to just pray for you. Uh, I just, again, I want to see the kingdom come. And that looks like Jesus touching bodies, touching lives, touching our hearts, touching our souls. So it's like if you need a touch from Jesus tonight, just, just come forward and receive. And we're just uh, pressing on and pressing in church into this incarnational Jesus. So Lord, bless us and keep us. Make us like you. Holy Spirit, come and put on our skin and make us like Jesus, I pray in your holy name. Amen.